Letter twenty one of Clarissa, volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, volume one, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty one. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe. Saturday night. I have been down. I am to be unlucky in all I do, I think, be my intentions ever so good. I have made matters worse instead of better, as I shall now tell you. I found my mother and sister together in my sister's parlour. My mother, I fear, by the glow of her fine face, and as the browner, sullener glow in her sister's confirmed, had been expressing herself with warmth against her unhappier child, perhaps giving such an account of what had passed as should clear herself and convince Bella, and through her, my brothers and uncles, of the sincere pain she had taken with me. I entered like a dejected criminal, and besought the favour of a private audience. My mother's return, both looks and words, gave but too much reason for my above surmise. "'You have,' said she, looking at me with a sternness that never sits well on her sweet features, rather a requesting than a conceding countenance, Clarissa Harlowe. "'If I am mistaken, tell me so, and I will withdraw with you wherever you will. Yet whether so or not, you may say what you have to say before your sister.' "'My mother, I thought, might have withdrawn with me, as she knows that I have not a friend in my sister.' "'I come down, madame,' said I, "'to beg of you to forgive me for anything you have made taken amiss in what passed above respecting your honoured self, and that you will be pleased to use your endeavours to soften my papa's displeasure against me on his return.' Such aggravating looks! Such lifting up of hands and eyes! Such a furrowed forehead in my sister! My mother was angry enough without all that and asks me to what purpose I came down, if I was still so intractable. She had hardly spoken the words, when Shorey came in to tell her, that Mr. Soames was in the hall, and desired admittance. Ugly creature! What at the close of day, quite dark, brought him hither! But on second thoughts, I believe it was contrived that he should be here at supper to know the result of the conference between my mother and me, and that my father, on his return, might find us together. I was hurrying away, but my mother commanded me, since I had come down only, as she said, to mock her, not to stir, and at the same time see if I could behave so to Mr. Soames as might encourage her to make the favourable report to my father which I had besought her to make. My sister triumphed. I was vexed to be so caught, and to have such an angry and cutting rebuke given me, with an aspect much more like the taunting sister than the indulgent mother, if I may presume to say so, for she herself seemed to enjoy the surprise upon me. The man stalked in. His usual walk is by pauses, as if, from the same vacuity of thought which made Dryden's clown whistle, he was telling me his steps, 
and first paid his clumsy respects to my mother, then to my sister, next to me, as if I was already his wife, and therefore to be last in his notice, and sitting down by me, told us in general what weather it was. Very cold he made it, but I was warm enough. Then addressing himself to me, "'And how do you find it, miss?' was his question, and would have taken my hand. I withdrew it, I believe, with disdain enough. My mother frowned. My sister bit her lip. I could not contain myself. I was never so bold in my life, for I went on with my plea as if Mr. Soames had not been there. My mother coloured, and looked at him, at my sister, and at me. My sister's eyes were opener and bigger than I ever saw them before. The man understood me. He hemmed and removed from one chair to another. I went on, supplicating for my mother's favourable report. Nothing but invincible dislike, said I. What would the girl be at? interrupted my mother. Why, Clary, is this a subject? Is this... is this... is this a time? And again she looked upon Mr. Soames. I am sorry, on reflection, that I put my mamma into so much confusion. To be sure it was very saucy in me. I beg pardon, madame, said I, but my papa will return soon, and since I am not permitted to withdraw, it is not necessary, I humbly presume, that Mr. Soames's presence should deprive me of this opportunity to implore your favourable report, and at the same time, if he still visit on my account, looking at him, to convince him that it cannot possibly be to any purpose. "'Is the girl mad?' said my mother, interrupting me. My sister, with the affection of a whisper to my mother, "'This is—this is spite, madame.' very spitefully she spoke the word, because you commanded her to stay. I only looked at her, and turning to my mother, "'Permit me, madame,' said I, to repeat my request. I have no brother, no sister. If I ever lose my mamma's favour, I am lost for ever.' Mr. Soames removed to his first seat, and fell to gnawing the head of his hazel. A carved head, almost as ugly as his own. I did not think the man was so sensible. My sister rose, with a face all over scarlet, and stepping to the table, where lay a fan, she took it up, and although Mr. Soames had observed that the weather was cold, fanned herself very violently. My mother came to me, and angrily taking my hand, led me out of that parlour into my own which, you know, is next to it. Is not this behaviour very bold, very provoking, think you, Clary? I beg your pardon, madame, if it has the appearance to you. But indeed, my dear mamma, there seem to be snares laying in wait for me. Too well I know my brother's drift. With a good word he shall have my consent for all he wishes to worm out of me, neither he nor my sister shall need to take half this pains my mother was about to leave me in high displeasure i besought her to stay one favour but one favour dearest madame said i give me leave to beg of you what would the girl 
I see how everything is working about. I never, never can think of Mr. Soames. My papa will be in tumults when he is told that I cannot. They will judge of the tenderness of your heart to a pure, poor child who seems devoted by every one else from the willingness you have already shown to hearken to my prayers. There will be endeavours used to confine me and keep me out of your presence and out of the presence of every one who used to love me. This, my dear Miss Howe, is threatened. If this be effected, if it be put out of my power to plead my own cause, and to appeal to you, and to my uncle Harlow, of whom I only have hope, then will every ear be opened against me, and every tale encouraged. It is therefore my humble request, that added to the disgraceful prohibitions I now suffer under, you will not, if you can help it, give way to my being denied your ear. Your listening Hannah has given you this intelligence, as she does many others. My Hannah, madame, listens not. My Hannah, no more in Hannah's behalf. Hannah is known to make mischief. Hannah is known, but no more of that bold intermeddler. Tis true your father threatened to confine you to your chamber, if you complied not, in order the more assuredly to deprive you of the opportunity of corresponding with those who harden your heart against his will. He bid me tell you so when he went out, if I found you refractory. But I was loath to deliver so harsh a declaration, being still in hope that you would come down to us in a compliant temper. Hannah has overheard this, I suppose, and has told you of it as also that he declared he would break your heart rather than you break his. And I now assure you that you will be confined and prohibited making teasing appeals to any of us, and we shall see who is to submit, you to us or everybody to you. Again I offer to clear Hannah, and to lay the latter part of the intelligence to my sister's echo, Betty Barnes, who had boasted of it to another servant but I was again bid to be silent on that head. I should soon find, my mother was pleased to say, that others could be as determined as I was obstinate, and once for all would add, that since she saw that I built upon her indulgence, and was indifferent about involving her in contentions with my father, she would now assure me that she was as much determined against Mr. Lovelace, and for Mr. Soames and the family schemes, as anybody and would not refuse her consent to any measures that should be thought necessary to reduce a stubborn child to her duty. I was ready to sink. She was so good as to lend me her arm to support me. And this, said I, is all I have to hope for from my mamma. It is. But, Clary, this one further opportunity I give you, Go in against Mr. Soames, and behave discreetly to him, and let your father find you together, upon civil terms at least. My feet moved, of themselves, I think, farther from the parlour where he was, and towards the stairs, and there I stopped and paused. If, proceeded she, you are determined to stand in defiance of us all, then indeed you may go up to your chamber, as you are ready to do, and God help you. God help me indeed, for I cannot give 
hope of what I cannot intend. But let me have your prayers, my dear mamma. Those shall have mine, who have brought me into all this distress. I was moving to go up. And will you go up, Clary? I turned my face to her. My officious tears would need plead for me. I could not just then speak, and stood still. Good girl, distress me not thus. Dear good girl, do not thus distress me, holding out her hand, but standing still likewise. What can I do, madame? What can I do? Go in again, my child. Go in again, my dear child, repeated she, and let your father find you together. What, madame? To give him hope? To give hope to Mr. Soames? Obstinate, perverse, undutiful Clarissa, with a rejecting hand and angry aspect, then take your own way and go up. But stir not down again, I charge you, without leave, or till your father's pleasure be known concerning you. She flung away from me with high indignation, and I went up with a very heavy heart, and feet as slow as my heart was heavy. My father is come home, and my brother with him. Late as it is, they are all shut up together. Not a door opens, not a soul stirs. Hannah, as she moves up and down, is shunned as a person infected. The angry assembly is broken up. My two uncles and my aunt Harvey are sent for, it seems, to be here in the morning to breakfast. I shall then, I suppose, know my doom. Tis past eleven, and I am ordered not to go to bed. Twelve o'clock. This moment the keys of everything are taken from me. It was proposed to send for me down, but my father said he could not bear to look upon me. Strange alteration in a few weeks. Shorey was the messenger. The tears stood in her eyes when she delivered her message. You, my dear, are happy. May you always be so, and then I can never be wholly miserable. Adieu, my beloved friend, Clarissa Harlow. End of letter twenty one. Recording by Ben Dutton, Lampeter, Wales.